Well, good morning, everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, good morning. And let's all turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You got your Bible? Hold it up. Let me see it. Got your Bible today. Excellent. Romans chapter 8. I've never preached on this passage, which is, I'm going, duh, what's wrong with me? And, uh, and we're actually going to spend a couple weeks on it. Because as I've gotten into it, it is so deep and so powerful. And Lord, teach us today. Change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about the best promise on earth. Would you repeat that with me, please? The best promise on earth. Is there anybody in the room that could use a little bit of hope today? Hold your hand up. A little bit of hope. Could you use some hope? Okay. We're in the right place. I could use always hope. Now, let's go back. Let's look at the passage. Let me read these verses, okay? Chapter 8, verse 28, and I'm reading from New American Standard today. And we know, everyone say we know, that God causes all things, all things to work together for good to those who love God. Does anybody love God in the room? To those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among, among many brethren. And these, when he predestined, he also called. Did you know you have been called? And these whom he called, he also justified. And these, these who he justified, he also glorified. Now, just because you're Christian doesn't mean bad things don't come your way. Have you found that out? Bad things happen to everybody. And the gamut looks like this. From just being inconvenienced, you bounce some checks. You got to look for another job. Uh, you had a fender bender. Or it's life shattering. Absolutely life shattering. And we spend a good bit of time helping people through events that are life changing and life altering, and we all go through them. Today, what we just read is a promise. It is a most amazing promise. It is maybe one of the most powerful promises in the entire Bible. And for you, if you've not memorized it, I memorized it probably 48 years ago. If you've never memorized it, to memorize it, think about it, and then live it because it will keep you. Keep you upright, keep you strong, keep you close. And I want to say this verse, because a lot of Christians throw it around. Maybe you throw it around. Maybe you share it with other people. But it is not just a cheap cliche. It is so powerful. It is so trustworthy. That's why we're spending several weeks thinking about it, holding it upside down, looking at it. And it's my belief, because it's scripture, it works. 
And it works all the time. It works all the time. Now, a great American pastor who's with the Lord today, R.A. Torrey, said this. Romans 8.28 is a soft pillow for a tired heart. And I believe he's exactly right. To quote this verse to you, yourself, as you go to sleep, will allow you to sleep. John MacArthur, another pastor, said this. It is perhaps the most glorious promise in all of the Bible. Now here's what Paul said. Now Paul wrote the book of Romans approximately 56 A.D., he had finished his third missionary trip. He was tired. He was broken. He was worn out. And he stayed in Corinth for three months in the villa of a close friend by the name of Gaius. And so these are the things the Spirit of God taught him. And he starts out by saying this, we know. Everyone say it, please, we. One more time, say it. We know, which means I'm not wishing. I'm not thinking, this is not a hypothesis. This is not one of many options. I'm not speculating today. I absolutely know. It speaks of certainty. It speaks of reliability. You see that mountain up on the screen? Do you know where that is? It's Gatlinburg. No, it's not Gatlinburg. <laughs> it is the rock called Gibraltar right there on the coast of Spain. It speaks of stability. It speaks of strength. It strength speaks of something you can lean on and count on. Now, this word, no, here's a wonderful passage that speaks about it. Here is one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. In a week's time, he lost all of his wealth. In a week's time, he lost his family. In a week's time, he lost his health. He lost everything. And if you've ever read Job, it's just a really hard, hard book until you kind of learn to navigate it. Then it's so encouraging to you when you go through hard times. And Job said this, I don't know why I lost my family. I don't know why I lost my friends. I don't know why I've lost my wealth. I don't know why I've lost my health. And it boils down to this. I know one thing. Say it with me. I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the end, he will be the last one standing. And that's the only thing I know. And that's good enough for me to know. And I'm going to rest in that until we figure this all out. Here's another example. A man that had been blind all of his life. Jesus touched him and healed him. And then when he was quizzed in the front of the Pharisees and just it was just a really hard time. Well, who did this? And why did this happen? There were just lots of questions. And he said, well, there's really only one thing I know. I was blind. Completely blind. All my life. And today, I see. That's what I know. That's what, and that's good enough. Now, here's a verse that's one of my favorites. Because my family didn't know that they had eternal life. I didn't know that I had eternal life. My brother didn't know. My parents didn't know. Even my pastor didn't know because he told me he didn't know. Read this verse out loud, please. 
These things were written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, that you have eternal life. Not wish, not think, not hope. I know. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know that one thing. And do you know that today? Do you know if you died today that you'd be in heaven? Now, I'm going to couple a word with hope, knowing. I'm going to couple those two words together, hope and knowing. If you have biblical hope, it's because you know. If you know, you have biblical hope. And this is the best definition of this hard-to-define word, hope. This is from the Greek. This is the best I can do. What is hope, Steve? Hope is a favorable and confident expectation that it's going to turn out good. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I have hope this is going to turn out good. That's the biblical definition of hope. Now, the basis of hope is this. Does anybody know what it is? The character of God. That's the only basis of hope that I have. Who God is and who he says he is. It is certainly not based on my performance or what I know or what I don't know. Because if that's based on me or based on you, I am hopeless. Hope should set you and I apart from everybody else on the face of the earth who does not know Christ. Why is that? Because you have, you know because you know you have hope. So therefore, I want to ask you, do you have a good witness of hope to people that meet you? Are you always looking at your shoes? Are you depressed most of the time? Are you negative most of the time? Do you complain a lot? Are you critical a lot? Are you quick to condemn other people? That's not a good witness. The witness of hope is you know, therefore you trust. Therefore you can rest. Therefore you can have joy. Therefore you can get up in the morning when everything's bad and still have a smile on your face because you know. Everyone say, I know, I know. Hope is not a maybe. Biblical hope talks about surety. It's expression of anticipation of what is good because my Savior lives. That's why I have hope. Now, point number two. Paul says, I know some things. Does it say some? A good many things. Occasionally, a thing or two. He says specifically all things. And all is the biggest little word in the entire Bible. It's over like a thousand times in Scripture. And it is one of heaven's most favorite words. This simple word, all. Say it with me, please. Casting all your, because he 
cares for you. Your care and your problems is either on you today or it's on him today. Which one is it? It can't be on both. My job every day is to be in the scripture, go to prayer, and cast my problems on him and let him take them. He doesn't give them back. He takes them. Now, this is a long verse, but it's powerful. I want you to say it with me. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how will he not also with him freely give us? He died for everyone. The Father and the Son, because of the death of the Son, has made us adopted children. Because we're adopted children, we have access to the resources of heaven. If he gave his son, why would he be cheap and chancy about anything? He won't be. He gives us the things that we need. And here's a wonderful verse. Stay with me, please. In all these things, we are more than through him who loved us. In all these things, every battle you fight, every temptation, every stressor, every difficulty, we are designed to be more than conquerors. Now the word all is all-inclusive, meaning there is nothing you or I will ever face that's excluded from this. All means what? All means all. No problem is ever too small. By the way, talk to him about everything. And there's no trial that is too large. All means all. We know. All things. Because I can't handle all things, but he can handle Every single thing. There are no exceptions. And there are no exemptions. All means what? All means all. Uh, the teaching is based on repetitions, right? All means all. So what is your all today? What are you going through? What's your loss? What's your shortage? What are you stressed out for? This verse, it's for you today. Now, this verse means all, that nothing can happen to you outside of these three letters. Nothing, absolutely nothing. There's no surprise that the Father ever has. The angels don't run to him. Michael and Gabriel say, oh God, Father, the, Steve is such a mess today. He doesn't know what to do and he, he is so unstable and we're just all worried and the father doesn't go, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Well, nothing surprises God. Nothing's, nothing before you were born. He knew what would happen tomorrow and he's got a plan and you're good. So stop worrying. Now, R.C. Sproul, who is with the Lord, a great Bible teacher and pastor, said this. You may want to write this down on your outline. For the Christian, every tragedy 
is ultimately, and the key word is ultimately, a blessing. And if that is not true, that means God the Father is a liar. All means all, or it doesn't. Let me give you a wonderful story. I'll try to limit my stories today. Pastor Bernard Gilpin lived 500 years ago in Great Britain. This is his a painting of what Pastor Gilpin looked like. I'm trying to get a hat just like that to preach in that has Atlanta Braves across the top, but I can't find it on Amazon. He was known as the Romans 828 man. Because everywhere Pastor Gilpin went, he had a big smile on his face. There was joy in his heart. He always lifted people and encouraged people. And he said, I get it from what the scripture says, because I know all things work together for good. And he quoted this verse practically every day, every place he went. He was born in the year 1517 in the British Isles. He was also named the Apostle of the North because he would preach the gospel where no other preacher went to. He was a mighty soul winner, an evangelist, a beloved servant of the Lord. He had to make a journey to London, but on the way to London, his horse spooked, he fell off his horse, and broke his leg. His leg on the ground, had to have people help him up. He could not make the journey. He was in such pain. They took him to an inn. He had enough money to stay for a little bit. And somebody that had heard him preach the night before on Romans 8, 28 said, okay, pastor, put your money where your mouth is. If you fell off your horse and broke your leg, how is that a good thing? Tell me. He said, I don't know. But I know it's true. It will turn out to be a good thing because all things in my father's view will work out for my blessing and his glory. So he stayed in this inn in pain and wondered when he could leave. What he did not know and what you don't know about your life, a wicked woman by the name of Queen Mary called Bloody Mary loved burning preachers at the stake. And Pastor Gilpin was on her hit list and she already had thugs on the other side of the bridge ready to arrest him, to have a quick trial, and to burn Pastor Gilpin, the Romans 828 man, at the stake. But he never got to London because he broke his leg. He's laid up a hundred miles to the north in a little cheap inn, sweating and in pain and agony because of his leg. When his leg finally healed up about three months later, he gets to London and finds out that Queen Mary died in her sleep. And her half-sister Elizabeth, who loved Protestant preachers, was now in rule. Someone say amen. amen. 
Pastor Gilpin, that's where he's buried in that church, was saved by a broken leg. And he lived another 25 years to preach the gospel. Someone say amen. Here, this just sounds crazy, but I got to go there. Even my sins and your sins can be used for his glory. Pastor, that doesn't make sense. Well, even your bad choices, even your failures, even my and your regrets that still trouble you today, the Father can use for your benefit and his glory. To be truthful, God hates sin and God hates evil because sin and evil destroys you and everything that is good. Someone say amen. But the Father is not stymied by sin. You should say amen. Somebody, somebody should say amen. How many have sinned? Just be honest. Hold your, we want to get it on camera. Hold your hands up really high. Okay. Now, when my kids were little, we would, we would get up in bed and we would read C.S. Lewis's books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And this brilliant brother, C.S. Lewis, wrote, it might, might have gone past your, noti- your, note, your notice, he wrote about deeper magic. Do you remember that? There's a deeper magic still, but he doesn't explain it. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about how does God deal with our sin? How does God work even despite our rebellion? How does God take our bad choices and somehow turn them into good? Your poor choices can become God's glory if, everyone say if. Turn to your neighbor and say if. Tell them don't miss this. Your if is hanging by a thread. If you let Jesus transform your life, you repent of your sin and your poor choices and let him give new meaning to your life and your past. Here's a perfect example. One of the most wicked men of his age, John Newton, was called the old African slave trader because he and his gangs kidnapped thousands of Africa, Africans from the West Coast, put them in ships, put them side by side, put them in shackles, when a third of them died, just threw their bodies to the sharks over the side of the ship. But one day God got him because he had a praying wife. And John Newton, someone say amen. Women, pray for your men. We need it. Pray. He was converted, became a wonderful, beloved pastor, And out of his brokenness, he wrote the most beloved song in history. What's it called? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. He's talking about himself who saved a wretch like me. 
because I was once so lost. Now I'm found. I was blind. Praise God. I'm no longer blind, but now I see. Now my wife asked me this morning as she proofed my PowerPoint because she always finds spelling and errors and too many words and that sort of stuff. And she turned to me before she prayed for me and kissed me and said, Steve, are you telling me that everything always turns out for good for everybody? I go, no, 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 I'm not saying that. There's an escape clause. There's two qualifiers at the very end of the passage. If you don't love God, you wasted your wickedness. If you don't love God, you're not called according to his purposes. You'll never find your purpose. New American Standard says, we know God causes all things to work together. Everyone say work together. One more time, work together. What do you mean work together? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know how the knot will become untied. We don't know any of that. We don't know how things are going to turn out. This morning as I was driving and having my prayer time with the Lord in my car, I threw up several things to him that I'm concerned about. Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what to do. I don't know the future, but I surrender to you. I humble myself before you and ask that you would cause these things to work together. And it's like building a house. I built two houses. And how the pieces come together. You have to do them in order. You dig the footer. You pour the concrete. You uh, put the studs up. You pour more concrete, you, you get the rafters up. You have to do everything in steps. And so the Lord is bringing things together for you. It may happen this week. It may be 10 years. We can't see the future. My point is he's committed to your future. He's committed to building you as a house of glory. You're a temple of the living God. Just let him do it. Stop micromanaging your life and worrying about everything. We just don't know when the pieces are going to come together. We don't know when the boy's going to come home. We don't know when the husband will repent of his sins. We don't know when the daughter will say, I want off dope. We don't know when that will happen. And we don't know how it's going to happen. And frankly, it's none of your business. It's none of my business. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's none of your business. You're not smart enough to figure it out. I'm not either. So stop telling the builder how to build your stuff. Stop it. Put your tool bag down. You never will figure it out. Just do what he asks you to do and then rest. Now, why? We don't know when. We don't know how. But here's what we do know. We know him. We know him. And knowing him's enough. And so because we know him, we can rest. We can sleep. We can cast our cares on him and then go to sleep. Because he's on it. He's working. 
I want to tell you a story, and I may end up crying this morning. If I do, I'll just cry, and you can cry too. This is a picture of a man that, member of our church 10 years, I love Pat. We were very close. He did evangelism on Thursday nights. There was probably not hardly a week that went by that Pat didn't win somebody to Jesus. At the mall, he'd buy a hot dog at Sam's, end up winning the guy that the Lord was standing beside him. He was so bold and so loving, retired school teacher, taught school 45 years. Well, a lot of people didn't know. Pat's only son committed suicide and killed himself. And Pat never got over that pain. I mean, how do you do that? But that pain drove him to share the gospel with people. And we prayed together for 10 years. He and a group, about 10 of us, we prayed for 10 years. And every time we got together before we closed, Pat would say, now remember my three boys, because they didn't have a father. They grew up love, they went, uh, grew up hard, and they went down the wrong path. So Paul, uh, Pat would say, let's pray for my three boys, and we did for 10 years. Honest to the Lord's witness, I get a text yesterday that the one furthest from the light gave his heart to Christ with somebody else. And his little girlfriend walked forward and gave her heart to the Lord. And they joined the church and got baptized. And now you know what they're doing? They're helping other people get off stuff they shouldn't be on. How long do you pray for your child? How long do you hold on to the rope? How long do you cling to hope without quitting? 10 years? 20 years? I have no other option. I have to hope. I have to know. I have to believe all things will work together for good. Now this, you got to write this down. This is not in your notes. Write this. This is the best thing I will say today. And I'm not smart enough to figure it out. Charles Spurgeon, a man who suffered greatly, but served greatly in England as a pastor. He said this, when you cannot trace his hand, you don't know what he's doing. Seems like he's not answering. You can't figure it out. When you cannot trace his hand, you have to trust his heart. You have to trust Papa's heart. And all the heroes of the Bible, you read the stories, but you don't see the pain in the stories. Every single great man or woman of the Lord in the scriptures, all of them suffered. All of them went through unbelievable hardship and difficulty and temptation and stress, but none of it caught the father off guard. He already had plan B waiting for them to help them get through. God knows what to stop and God knows what to allow in your life. You just look at the story of Job. I used to not understand it. I love the story of Job today. Chapter 1. The Lord tells the devil, no, 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 you're not doing that. No, 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 you're not doing this. And I want to tell you, 
The Lord has stopped more evil and tragedy in your life than you can believe. You never even saw it. He stopped it because he loves you. And he knows you couldn't take it. But there's times he says, honey, you got to go through this. I need you to go through this. Why do I need to go through this? Because you'll never be strong. You'll never be tough. You'll never be wise. You'll never be forgiving. You'll never show persistence unless you go through hardship and difficulty. People that have not suffered much usually aren't used much. And the last one. Paul says, we know all things. Say it with me, please. We know. One more time. We know. One more time. We know all things. Say it. All things. All things. Say it. Work together. One more time. Work together for good. Why for good? Because God's on it. God is working behind the scenes. He's helping you when you don't even know he's helping you. It's for your benefit. It's for his glory. Because he is a good father all the time. He loves you perfectly. Augustine said this, and might be another quote to write down. This is a guy who was a huge sinner that his mama prayed for him, and he became a huge servant for the living God. Augustine said this, God would never permit evil unless he could bring good out of it. I think about Gee, 49 years ago, as an 18-year-old, being rejected by my pastor when I told him I wanted to find God, instead of helping me, he blew me off. That hurt me so bad. I was bitter for 10 years. I hated Christians. I hated the church. The people I least trusted were pastor types. Now, the, the, the joke on the devil is, here I are one, you know, <laughs> the least likely to do what I do. And I think, actually looking back, it was the rejection that gave me a heart to become a pastor. It was a rejection that caused me to love Jesus' church no matter where they are. Never would have happened without the pain and the rejection. Now, when you talk about for good, you got to think about this tricky word that sometimes people use, but they don't define it. It's the word redeem. Everyone use the word, say the word redeem. That's where we get the word redemption, which is what Jesus did for us. It means you paid somebody's ransom. They couldn't get out of a tough spot. And somebody else came along and paid it so you could get out of that place. It means they bought something back for you that you would never be able to possess again. And they bought it for you. 
It means something that was lost, hopelessly lost. No chance it would ever show up. They paid for it. So you could have that again. Redeem means to rescue. Everyone say the word rescue. And I'm going to take theological liberties because I'm a knucklehead and about half the time I don't know what I'm talking about. But in my mind, it means to clean up a mess. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you a mess today? Just ask him, are you maybe even a hot mess? Woo! Jesus loves hot messes. Warning, ready? Warning. Just because your situation is not good right now, you don't like it, you're lonely, you're uncomfortable, you're down, you're trapped, here's my counsel. Don't quit. Don't give up. Some of you people watching online, don't quit. Because if you stop trusting, if you stop believing, if you give up on hope, you're dead in the water. The deal is you have to learn to look. If all things are going to work together for good, you have to look for the good. Lord, I don't like it, but there's something right in front of me. Holy Spirit, show me where the opportunity is for eternal blessing. Show me, show me, show me. Because in the natural, you won't see it unless you ask for the Lord to show it. Because if you stop trusting, and I almost did, if you stop trusting, you will stop looking. And let me tell you who wins that wrestling match. Can I show you? Satan. Don't go down that road. I don't care who wronged you. I don't care what you lost. I don't care how disappointed you got. God still got you. If you don't stop trusting. Let me tell you a story. I got out of college. 1976. Moved from Oklahoma back to my small town in South Carolina. This is not the real picture, but I'd been back several weeks and a real tragedy happened in my small town. The popular homecoming queen was killed in a car wreck. The person that was driving the car was a daughter of close friends of mine. It was horrible. It was senseless. It was devastating. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing good that will come out of this horrible act, three-second act of poor judgment. The high school was tore up. Kids were crying. Teachers were depressed. It was such a horrible, horrible deal. I get a prompt, I get a nudge. I call my old high school football coach. I walk into his office and I ask him this. I felt like the Lord pushed me to do it. I said, can I be a chaplain to the high school football team? I said, the football team's messed up. You guys start fall practice soon. 
The cheerleaders are messed up. The student body is messed up. The coaches are messed up. Everybody's messed up. Maybe the Lord will do something. Would you, can I be the chaplain? He says, well, what does that mean? I go, I have no idea. I don't know. I'll come to practice. I'll get on the bus. I'll take players home. Uh, how about this? I'll do a devotion on Fridays, a game day, home and wait games with the Thursdays. I'll bring in some college athletes who are Christians. I started the FCA huddle that way. I did that for seven years, probably 10 hours a week. And I worked two other jobs for seven years. Last game of the season, I'd have my church, my local church that had now flipped and was an evangelical church. We would feed the entire football team on a Thursday and I'd bring in a great all pro football player or professional golfer or NBA basketball player. and We'd share the gospel and I'd pull the trigger for seven years. Half of every football team knelt and gave their heart to Jesus. It was, it was crazy. I had players thank me years later. One guy became a serial killer. I used to take him home. He didn't have a father. I loved Andy. I didn't even know what happened to Andy. I'm up here pastoring. I get a letter from death row in Columbia, South Carolina. And he said, Steve, I want you to know I'm on death row and they're going to kill me this summer. He said, I want you to know I've given my heart to Jesus here on death row. And I remember those devotions. They didn't sink in, but some sank in. I remember you taking me home and I want you to, I want to thank you. Even though I've messed my life up, Jesus has had mercy on me. And if I got 90 days to live, I'm going to serve Jesus. And I want to thank you for walking out on that football field. All I'm saying is God took a heartbreaking tragedy. He didn't cause the tragedy, but he sure wanted to use it. He wanted to use it because he's good. And the reality, are you ready? You gotta get, you gotta get this in your head. You gotta figure some big things out. In reality, you will never see all the good God does in your life, in your lifetime. Matter of fact, you're, you won't see 95% of it. You won't, because if the Lord shows you, you would get so arrogant, so full of yourself, he couldn't use you, or you'd get so afraid, you'd, you'd never come out from underneath your bed. But the time will come, you will see it. When you cross over and you stand before Jesus, there'll be people hugging your neck saying, thank you for not losing hope. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for praying, for showing kindness. Because I'm in heaven because you were faithful and you didn't quit. Now I'm going to ask Heather to come up. You ever heard of this woman named Fanny Crosby? How many have heard of Fanny Crosby? Fanny Crosby may be the greatest writer of Christian music the world has ever, ever seen. 
Her life is a tragedy in many ways. When she was six weeks old, she had a simple eye infection in her eyes. And the old country doctor came and gave her mother the wrong medicine. And the medicine her mother put in her baby's eyes destroyed her eyesight. Can you imagine the guilt and the pain over that? And her mother just anguished about it for years. Lord, why did I make the phone call? Why did I do that? Lord, where were you? You could have stopped this. Why didn't you stop this? And as that little girl got older, she'd ask her mother, sitting on her mother's lap, saying, Mom, I've heard people talk about seeing trees and seeing animals and seeing the sky, but I can't see anything. Why can I not see, Mama? And her mother would say, Honey, I don't know completely. But sometimes the Lord will take one thing from a person in order to give something even greater to that same person. And I believe you have a most unusual and glorious call on your life. So watch the Lord. Look to see what he's doing because he's going to do something so extraordinary. People will talk about it for hundreds of years. I don't know what it is. And the extraordinary was that little girl's brain developed to such a phenomenal memory. She could hear something once and have it. She would memorize whole chapters of the Bible and her heart got so rich for God and Jesus. She wrote a thousand hymns. And growing up, I sang a lot of these hymns. Rescue the perishing. Pray for the dying. Jesus is wonderful. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Jesus, keep me near the cross. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. I'm thine, O Lord. I've heard thy cry. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. And one of our favorites, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. God used that little blind girl to bless millions of people. And she wrote in her biography, autobiography, 1903, she said, I'm so sorry for the doctor. That poor doctor, after realizing what happened, he just left the country. He was so shamed and so embarrassed. And I heard later, he hurt for decades over what he did to me. And I'm sure he's dead now. But if I ever could meet him, I would tell him to his face, unwittingly, you did me the greatest favor that could have been done for me. It may have been a blunder on your part, Doc, but it wasn't on God's part. It wasn't a mistake. Because I believe it was his intention that I would live in a world of physical darkness for this reason. 
so I could be a better worshiper and I could inspire thousands of people to worship. And I couldn't have written all these songs had I been able to see because I would have been distracted by the flowers, the trees, the faces, and the people that went before my seeing eyes. She was never bitter. She was grateful because she knew God causes all things to work together for good of those who love him. And Heather's going to sing this song for you. Do you. Do some of you folks my age remember it? It's a testimony to her blindness and holding the hand of her Savior all the way. My Savior leads me. What have I beside? Can I ever doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, my Jesus does all things well. I pray you brought the Lord's table in today. Pull it out, please, at this time. If you don't have one, there's some just outside the doors. This is not a religious act. This is a form of worship and commitment. It means I'm all in, Lord. I'm never going to stop hoping because I know. Now, if you've never received Jesus before, please do that because this is for God's people. So if you're right here, and you've never received Christ right where you sit and you watching online. Pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm sorry I messed up my life. Come into my heart today and be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me of all my sins and wash me clean because today I give you my life. As you hold this up, open the top part where the bread is. Take it out. Hold it in your hand. Lord, thank you for your body broken for me so I would find healing and wholeness. Eat in the name of Jesus. Peel the other portion back and hold it up and say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me for every single sin and making me your child. I'm in forever. Take and drink. As Heather sings this song, the last part of the service is the most important part. It's our response to him. The altar is open. 
There's people that will pray for you. Please come do business with the Lord. the rest of the worship team to come up and let's let's stand and worship the Lord do business with him this altar is open there's people that will pray your relationship with the Father is the most important thing a month ago, um, this church blessed me with the opportunity to travel to Texas to spend time with my dad in his uh, final hours on this earth. 
it was a moment that I am forever grateful for. Um, just there was a lot of healing that took place that day. Um, and even though I'm not able to go to my dad when I'm having problems now, um, because of Jesus' sacrifice and the communion and the elements that we share today, we have a father who is faithful that we can run to in our time of need. We have an Abba father that can comfort me when I'm missing my dad. Um, a real close father who loves us and is there waiting even when we mess up or even when our world's a mess because of either our actions or the, or the actions of those around us. So as we sing this song, some of you might know it. Um, if you do, sing along. If you don't know it, um, just listen to the words and uh, just let them just touch your heart, okay?
angel on the way back home with the arms of a father who won't let go. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came after us and you loved us and you captured us. We say yes to you today. To whatever you say, we say yes. So use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Slip out quietly. There's people still doing business with the Lord. Pick up your children. We'll see you soon.
We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made the decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.